The, uh, the, the story I want to read this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Well, today's the third Sunday in Advent, and um, we normally don't think of John the Baptist as a Christmas character. But um, this reading this morning is from the lectionary, uh, and uh, every year uh, in the lectionary, there's always at least one reading about John the Baptist during Advent. Um, you know, like I said, we don't even really think about him. He's not one of the little characters you put in the creche. But the reason there's always a reading about John is because Advent is a time of, of preparation, of preparing ourselves for Christmas. And John is the one who came to prepare the way for the Messiah. So there's always a reading about John. And so the story this morning, uh, John is in prison. And according to Matthew, he's been in prison since way back in chapter 4. And uh, let me tell you why he was in prison. When Jesus was born, the guy who was in charge was a guy named Herod the Great. And he's the one that uh, when, the, when the wise men, the Magi, came and told him that a king had been born somewhere, he said, well, when you find him, you tell me, I want to go and, and worship him as well. But they knew better, so they didn't. And then Herod the Great is the one who had all the infants killed just to try to make sure he wiped out this new king. Well, Herod the Great has died, and now his son, Herod Antipas, or Herod Jr., is, uh, is the one who's in charge. So uh, Herod the Great is in charge when Jesus is born. Herod Antipas is in charge while Jesus is an adult. So um, there was another son named Philip, uh, and Philip married a, a, a girl named Herodias who happened to be his brother's daughter. So um, Philip married his niece. Now Philip's the odd man out because he's the only one in the story who doesn't have Herod in his name. Uh, so uh, after he married his niece, then his own brother, Herod Jr., Herod Antipas, he somehow wooed Philip's wife away from him, and he married her, even though she's his niece as well. So here's the thing. You've got one brother who steals the other brother's wife, who is the niece to both of them. Now, I'm from Alabama, and this makes me cringe. <laughs> uh, it it kind of begs the question in Herod's family, if you get a divorce, are you still cousins? 
So uh, now, now John the baptizer was not good at placating spoiled rich rulers and their children. And uh, so John took what they were doing seriously. And unlike most other folks who just overlooked this leader's sordid actions, John called him on it. Rulers prefer court prophets who um, will spin and, you know, make what they do seem palatable to everybody else. But, but John, he spoke the power, he spoke the truth to power. And then he got what often happens when you do that. He was arrested and put in prison. And we don't know how long John's been in prison, but he's been there for, for quite a while. And, and one day, John called his disciples together, and he said, I want you to go out and find Jesus. And I want you to ask him, are you really the one? Or do we need to look for someone else? Now, to me, this is a disturbing question. Because we, we expect people sometimes to have doubts. Uh, I mean, even preachers have doubts sometimes. But not John. <laughs> not John the baptizer. We don't expect him to have any doubts. I mean, this is the guy that when his mother Elizabeth was pregnant with him, Mary came to visit them and she was pregnant with Jesus. And when Mary walked in the room, the, the Bible says that John leaped inside his mother's womb. So it's, it's like prenatal John had faith in Jesus. And, and then when John was out baptizing and Jesus came walking up, he's the one who boldly proclaimed to everybody, here's the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was clear about who Jesus was. And, and John, you know, I mean, he was this powerful firebrand of a prophet. Multitudes of people came to hear his message of change. And they all heard him talk about Jesus was the Messiah. But now the crowds are all gone. John's sitting alone in a prison cell. And Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And he starts to have some doubts. I mean, there he is, you know, he's done everything he's supposed to do, and now he's riding away in prison, and Jesus is free. Jesus is out there teaching and healing and doing all that stuff, but, I mean, couldn't Jesus say something to Herod or say something about Herod? Couldn't Jesus send an angel or do something to get John out of prison? I mean, John had been praying for freedom, and the Messiah is supposed to bring, you know, freedom to the captives, but John's still in prison. And maybe John feared that if Jesus didn't do something soon, things were going to get worse, which they did. So John's excitement over the coming Messiah turned to disappointment over the Messiah who actually came. Pastor and teacher Fred Craddock said it's easier to get excited about the Messiah that's coming than it is to stay excited about him after he gets here. Because before Messiah comes, you can imagine he's going to be anything you want. See, before Messiah comes, you can imagine that he's going to come and do everything just the way you think he should. Before he actually comes, you can think that when he gets here, he's probably going to agree with you on everything. You know, theology and politics, he's just going to tell you, hey, you're right. You got it all down. But once he gets here, <laughs> then all that's gone. 
And we're stuck with the Messiah who actually came, not the one we were expecting or, or necessarily even the one that we wanted. And so um, th- this is one reason that I think, um, I think people get so um, excited about or fixated on the second coming of Jesus. Because when he comes again, this time he can do all the things we expected him to do the first time. Uh, you know, this time we can imagine that he will come in might and power and defeat all our enemies like we expected him to do the first time. And we can still relish our dreams of might and power and all those things that we expected the Messiah to do, but he never did. The Messiah was supposed to be mighty and was going to come with power and glory. And then there was Jesus walking around telling people to, to be good to those around them and love those who hate them. The Messiah was supposed to wipe out the enemy And there was Jesus going around telling everybody to turn the other cheek and to love their enemy. And then later on, when they nailed him to a cross, instead of coming down off that cross in power and giving a little payback, he just hung there and said, Father, please forgive them. He turned out to be a disappointing Messiah for a lot of people. Reality can be a real dream crusher sometimes. You get so excited when you plan your wedding. You pick out all the flowers and the dresses and the tuxes. And it's exciting to imagine how it will all look and smell and feel the day you get married. And you think about how the rest of your life is going to be this great romantic adventure. And then you get married. And that house you live in, somebody has to clean it. (laughs) And there are bills to be paid. And even if you have a great marriage, it's not what you imagined. The reality is different than the dream. And uh, it's like that when you're in college. I mean, you can't wait to finish your exams and graduate and get a job doing something that matters and make a lot of money, right? And, And you, maybe when you graduate, you do get a job that is important, is about stuff that really matters, and maybe you do make a lot of money, but then you still find out there's some things you have to do in that job that you really don't like, and there's stuff about that job that's hard that nobody told you about. It's like that for preachers, too. You're 17, and you tell other people that you feel God is calling you to be a pastor. Great. Be a pastor, they said. It'll be fun, they said. And you envision that one day you're going to get to help people make a commitment to God that will change their life, and that you're going to get to help people grow in their faith, that you're going to get to help people get involved in ministering and reaching out and touching the community and making a difference around them. And you do. You get to do those things. But nobody tells you you also got to deal with the people who are mad because the carpet's the wrong color, you know? And I'll tell you that part. And the reality is always different than the dream. And that's how John felt. He dreamed of the day when Messiah would come. He would come and set everyone free. He would heal the sick. He would bring salvation. And Jesus came and he was doing all those things, except he wasn't doing them for John. And the reality of it all was hard 
as John sat in that prison cell by himself. And he began to doubt. Because John wanted a Messiah who would set him free and get him out of prison. And that's not the Messiah he got. So what do you do when the Messiah you get turns out not to be the Messiah you wanted? What do you do when God doesn't answer your prayers the way you wanted God to? What do you do when Jesus challenges our long-held beliefs and prejudices? What do we do when Jesus doesn't fit neatly in that little box we made for him? What do we do when the Messiah we get is not the Messiah we were expecting? Well, John sent his friends to ask Jesus, are you really the one? And the answer Jesus gave was, go and tell John what you see and hear. Tell him the blind see and the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is being preached to the poor. But the real question underneath that that John had was, if you're really the Messiah, why am I still in prison? Why haven't you released me yet? And Jesus knew that. But his answer was that if John would look around, he would see God at work. And he would see God doing things in in other people's lives, even if he wasn't doing in John's life what John wanted him to. And so um, the reality was Jesus wasn't going to do what John wanted him to do. He wasn't going to get out of prison. And after answering their question, Jesus said to John's disciples, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And then Jesus turned to the crowd and he he praised John the baptizer for his faith and his obedience. Um, he, He explained that John was indeed the fulfillment of that Old Testament scripture that said the one who will, you know, like Elijah, who will come and prepare the way for the Messiah. Jesus said he he is that and he is a great man. And Jesus was convinced that John, even in his doubts, would not fall away on account of him. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. That is a strange beatitude. Why would anyone lose faith and fall away on account of Jesus? Yet people do fall away on account of Jesus. People fall away on account that Jesus doesn't always do what we want Jesus to do. People fall away from God because God does not always answer our prayers the way we want God to answer them. I knew a man once who started coming to church, and he made a commitment to God. He was baptized. He was trying to turn his life around. And the reason he came to church in the first place was because his marriage was falling apart. And he believed if he could have a relationship with God and get his life turned around, that things would be different and God would save his marriage. Unfortunately, his wife was past the point of wanting to talk about it. So he came to church and got baptized, and she went to the attorney and got papers. And when the divorce was final, he quit coming to church. Because God didn't do what he wanted God to do. He wanted a Messiah who would save his marriage. That's not the Messiah he got. And, and, and by the way, Jesus, or John was later beheaded. I mean, they put his head on a silver platter and gave it to Herodias, uh, her daughter, as a gift. That's where we get the expression about, 
and your head handed to someone on a silver platter. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Faith in God means faith in the God we actually have, not the one we imagined who would do everything just the way we wanted God to do them. We're like Ricky Bobby. We like the baby Jesus best. Because as as long as he's a baby, we still can believe that when he grows up, he's going to be who we want him to be. It's, It's that adult Jesus that gets on our nerves. It's the adult Jesus who doesn't always do what we like and doesn't always give us what we want. It's the adult Jesus who refuses to let us stay where we are, but he's always stretching us. He's always challenging our prejudices. He's always expanding our circle of those who are our neighbor. It's the adult Jesus, more often than we like, who tells us that we need to change. And the Jesus we ended up with is not a Jesus who promises us we'll always be healthy. He's not a Messiah who promises us we'll be wealthy. He's not a Messiah who is in the slightest bit interested in political power. He's a Messiah who loves us, but also loves the people we don't like just as much. No wonder we like the baby Jesus better. The dreams you have before your marriage don't match the reality of your marriage. And yet... I have met people who've been married for decades. They have gone through sacrifice. They have gone through difficult times. They've suffered through some tough stuff together. And the love they have for one another is so rich and so much better than anything they imagined. So much better than if it had gone along the plan they thought it should have gone along. And they wouldn't trade what they've got for what they imagined. They would never make that swap. And it's the same with following God. When we first start following God, we're not sure what to expect. But we have in our mind that once we do, everything's going to work out great. And God's going to answer all our prayers and everything's going to be wonderful and uh, you know, everything's just going to be great and God's going to you know, like us just the way we are and not going to make us change. It's going to just be wonderful. That's what we imagine. But then when you follow God for a few decades, you discover that there's sacrifices to be made. Obedience is hard. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to. And sometimes he challenges us and stretches us and makes us uncomfortable. And then we find a life that is so rich and so meaningful and so filled with purpose that we would not trade that for all the things we imagined because the God we got is so much better than the God we thought we wanted. And so blessed are you 
When you fall in love with the Messiah you got. Amen.